Good evening. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. Okay, good. How is everyone? Y'all good? I listened to the um, last week, Emmaus Road, and um, there was comments about how quiet <laughs> you guys were. So it's kind of, um, this new youth group is a little bit quieter than the previous one. Is that not right, Joseph? Yeah, that's true. That's okay. It's okay to be quiet. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to, to come before you guys and have an opportunity to teach God's Word. It is a, it's a privilege in anybody that has had an opportunity to get up in front of a group of people and to teach, preach, speak about the truth of God's Word. It's an awesome uh, responsibility. I enjoy it. But then the older that I've got, I've realized uh, that it's serious business. You know, you just don't get up here and open God's Word and haphazardly um, try to rightly divide the Word. And so people who God has given the ability to teach, uh, there's a higher um, judgment for those people. When we come before you and teach God's Word, there's a stricter judgment for those who teach God's Word. So I don't take it lightly when I come up here to be able to teach, and I just, I'm just i very thankful for the opportunity. I also know that old people like me, we have real short attention spans. And young people like you, y'all don't even have an attention span. <laughs> I mean, I can't even show my 25-year-old a video that's longer than six seconds. I mean, you know, it's like after six seconds, I'm done. So uh, I'm long-winded, which is bad news for y'all. I'm, I'm just telling y'all right now, this is not, this is not good for y'all because I could be long-winded. But I am going to attempt to try not to bore you to death. I mean, that's going to be my goal is to try to capture your attention and make sure that you're focused and listening because this is important. And so, anyway, y'all bear with me. We're going to try to get through it. And don't get stressed out about how long it is. Yes, it's four pages, two pages, front and back. But I'm going to try to, a lot of it's Scripture, okay? Because we're doing Second Thessalonians, and the entire book of Second Thessalonians, which is only three chapters, is contained in what I handed out there. So, don't worry. But I am going to ask y'all, too, there's going to be uh, some sections where I ask you guys to look up some scripture and um, and read that scripture aloud if you wouldn't mind volunteering to do that. So with that said, um, let's pray and we'll get started. Dear Lord, we do just thank you for tonight, Lord. And I just thank you for my brother Joseph to come up here, Lord, and to uh, how you gifted him to bring you praise and honor and glory through song. And I just thank you for him. I thank you for what he has meant um, and his family has meant in my life and um, in the life of this church and these young people. And so we're just thankful for Joseph and all the other uh, individuals that help with this youth group. We know how important it is to you, Lord, and we just thank you for him. And I pray, God, that you would continue to bless this ministry. I pray, Lord, that these young people would have a heart and a desire to want to know Your Word 
more and that they would grow Lord. We just ask these things in Jesus Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Okay, so you guys going through this study in this Emmaus Road study, the emphasis has been to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and how He is revealed throughout the entire Bible, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. So tonight, we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians. So as you guys continue to grow in Christ and you continue to learn more about God's Word, uh, it's important, and I know that this has been emphasized to you guys, but it's important for us to understand the background and the setting of what we're reading. And so we're going to take just a general look at this epistle. And you guys probably know this, but an epistle is a letter. It's a letter that was sent out to these churches that were planted in the first century after Christ was crucified and the church uh, begins and takes off and the apostles are out preaching the gospel and different churches are planted. And so these are letters that were circulated and sent out to these churches that were planted. So when you hear the word epistle, then you'll know that, that all that is is just a letter that was circulated to that church. And some of them were circulated to all the churches. And so this particular one um, was to the church at Thessalonica. So the Apostle Paul, this is his second letter to the believers that were at Thessalonica. And this was the capital of a place called Macedonia. If you ever look, it's helpful to kind of look at one of those biblical maps and you can kind of see those cities and those areas. That kind of helps you understand. There's uh, the one that shows Paul's uh, second missionary journey and you can learn about that in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. And that kind of goes, it goes through the areas that he went. And that's when this church was, was planted. And... Uh, most scholars believe that it was around A.D. 51 or 52 when this was written. And so, when you read the letter, and we're going to read it because it's only three chapters, when you read the letter, you can see that it had been reported to Paul the condition of the church, and he had been given an update on what was going on in the church. And so, obviously, back then, there had to be a courier, there had to be somebody deliver a letter. There was no technology as far as even, you know, obviously no phones or any way to get in touch with anyone other than by letter or someone in person delivering a message. So, he had been given um, an update on the church. And the update was that the believers that were there, they were maturing. But they were also facing persecution. And I know last week um, that was probably brought out about the persecution. And then also they were being influenced by false teachers who were confusing them about the Lord's return. And so in this letter, Paul, he wants to comfort and encourage the believers that were there. But also he wants to address this doctrinal teaching error that was going on. And, and then he confronts some of the believers about their disobedience and about um, their undisciplined behavior. 
So you'll see that through these three chapters is those are some of the primary things that the Apostle Paul was doing. So I'm going to read chapter 1. When I highlighted this in blue, it probably was not very wise. I could barely read it. I hope you can read it. It looks good on the computer, and then when I printed it, it was darker than I thought it would be. But uh, I'm, I've got a few things that are emphasized that we're going to kind of go back and look at. So I'm going to begin. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the affliction that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among, among all who have believed because our testimony to you is believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's chapter 1. So when we... We just read the entire chapter 1. And I want to focus in, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to focus in on a few key points in each chapter. And we'll kind of go through a chapter. We'll, we'll look at a few key verses. And then I'm going to have you guys in this first chapter um, look up some Scripture that, uh, that I'll have you guys read and it'll kind of apply to these points that I want to bring out. And the first bullet point there that's highlighted on the top of the back of the second page there is that true saving faith produces spiritual growth and this life change is observable to others. I'm going to say that again. True saving faith produces spiritual growth and this life change is observable to other people. So if we go back and look on the front page and look at verse 3, if you'll notice, see Paul had been given a report on the condition of the church. And one of the first things that he says after his greeting is he says that, um, that because your faith is growing abundantly. So how would he know that these believers are maturing in their faith? 
Well, the reason that he knew is because it had been reported back to him that there was tremendous growth growing, going on in the church and that people were maturing in their faith. So one of the things that is very important for a person who claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ is that their life changes. And when your life is changing, when Christ who saves you, when your life is changing, then you're maturing and you're growing. And that is observable to other people. So when Paul got this report back, it, he was very encouraged to see that their faith was growing. So with that said, I'm going to ask one of you guys to read, if you would. I've got a few verses of Scripture that emphasize the, import, the importance of and evidence of growth in a believer. Who would read John 15.5? Go ahead. And then, what, before you do that, Colossians 1.10. You got that? And then Psalm 92.12-14. Awesome. Alright, go ahead. Okay, let's stop right there. So who's speaking here in John? Anybody know? Who's saying this? Bethany, you know. Jesus. Yes, Jesus. <laughs> and so Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you're truly a child of God, then that means that you are in Christ. The Holy Spirit lives and dwells within you, and that's what happened to you when you got saved. When you believed the Gospel, when you repented of your sin, then God gave you His Spirit. He sealed you with His Spirit. And now Christ is in you. And the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And so you can do nothing apart from Christ. So the natural thing that occurs, I guess I should say, the supernatural thing that occurs for a true believer in Jesus Christ is they grow and they bear fruit and their life changes and other people that are around them can see that occur. I think it's very important because there are people who will tell you that you can be saved but and you can, you can accept Jesus Christ as Savior, which I don't like that terminology. You can receive Him. I like that better. You can receive Jesus Christ as Savior, but you don't really have to serve Him as Lord. That's kind of a voluntary thing. And if somebody's not growing in Christ, it's because we're not doing a good, good enough job of discipling them. Well, I believe that's not the case. And I believe Scripture says that you will bear fruit. And so that's a doctrine that I think is pretty prevalent in the church today is that there are people that think that you can be saved but not really have to serve Him as Lord. Well, I'm here to tell you, and I think you guys already know, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And He's Savior. And you cannot receive Him as Savior and not serve Him as Lord. You might think that you're saved. And if you're not, if you're life is not changing and you're not being obedient to His Word or if you have no interest in His Word, then you may want to examine yourself and to see if you truly 
are a child of God. Who's got Colossians 1.10? Go ahead. So, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Good. And then Psalm 92, 12-14. Go ahead, Josiah. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Thank you. You know, I never, uh, until I was studying, I never saw that in Psalms. And I thought that was pretty cool because that's a good illustration that God's people are going to grow. And you don't stop growing in Christ, even old people like me. You know, hopefully I'm still growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the Lord is still working on me. And one of the things that I am encouraged about, and you should be encouraged about as well, is that the Word of God says that He that began a good work in you is going to complete that work. So the work that Christ started in your life, no matter when that occurred, God is going to complete that work in you. So that should be an encouragement for us as we are obedient to His Word, as we are demonstrating the attributes of God, because really that's what fruit is. It's Christ that has changed you from the inside, and now your life starts looking differently on the outside. That's all it is. And, and so that's evidence, true evidence of your salvation. Another point that's in that same verse, 2 Thessalonians 1.3, and the point that I wanted to make here at the bottom of um, this, uh, I'm sorry, on the, the second bullet point on the top of the second page, is that true believers in Jesus Christ have an increasing love for other believers, for other brothers and sisters in Christ. If you truly are born again, and, and you have a relationship with Christ, then, then the thing that should be, I was going to say natural, but it really is supernatural. The supernatural thing that st should start occurring in your life is that you want to be around other Christians. You want to be around other believers and you love those people. And so there are people that I don't even know that well, but I love them because I, my spirit bears witness with them that we're children of the Most High God and I love them. And I may not even know them that well, but we just like being around, we love being around other believers. So, who would take John 13, 34, and 35? Go for it. And then, before you do Galatians 5, 14, 1 John 4, 7 through 10. You got it? Okay. Alright, let's do those. John 13, 34, and 35. Uh, new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Uh, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Okay, good. And then Galatians 5, 14. Good. And then 1 John 4, 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
In this, the love of God is made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In, in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be propitiation for our sins. Very good. Thank you so much. So those are just a few verses that indicate that true believers in Jesus Christ, we have love for one another. And just as that first verse of Scripture there in John, Jesus said, they will know, and we're talking about the world, other people, they will know that you're Christians because you love one another. So it's important that if you are trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it's important that you love one another and you can't make someone love someone. This is something that God is doing uh, in your life. And so as the Apostle Paul gets the report about the church in Thessalonica, he's encouraged to know in that second part of that verse there that the believers are increasing in the knowledge uh, or, I'm sorry, increasing in the, in the love for one another. And so that is absolutely in, encouraging when you see that going on. And I'm sure it was uh, encouraging for the Apostle Paul. The next point in this first chapter is that true believers in Jesus Christ suffer persecution. And so I think I've talked about that, that in here before. It seems to come up if you study the New Testament and you read the epistles and you read these letters, then it comes up quite often that believers were being persecuted and believers are still being persecuted today. You know, we live in a country where I think we might start seeing more persecution of true believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, but certainly in other parts of the world where the gospel is illegal, then you see tremendous persecution for the church that's going on with God's people. Uh, someone take 2 Timothy 3.12. Go ahead. And then Matthew 5.10 and 11. Anybody? Go ahead. My Scripture readers, go ahead. And then Matthew 5, 10 and 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile. Revile. Revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Yes, and... The, the very next verse says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And those are the words of the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. When, when He said, Blessed are those. And he, and he has those beatitudes or those things that He talks about. Blessed if, if uh, you have these things going on. So most people, I don't know about you, but if I'm being persecuted and I am suffering, I'm not real fired up about it. You know, I mean, I don't know anybody that likes persecution. 
But when you read the New Testament, when you read Scripture, that is one of the evidences of a true believer in Jesus Christ is that they will suffer. And you have to think about the Lord Jesus who was beaten beyond recognition, who had no sin, and how He was persecuted. So if we're Christians, we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will be persecuted as well. And that's what was going on at, at the church at Thessalonica. These guys were suffering uh, some major persecution. The next point is that Jesus Christ will return in judgment. And so, when you look at 2 Thessalonians 1, 8-11, it talks about Christ's return. And it talks about um, His judgment. I'm going to read those verses. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the Gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among, among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So, the Lord's coming back, y'all. And when He does come back, um, He's going to judge. And so, it's very important because I think a lot of times you will see that a lot of people don't want to talk about the return of the Lord. And so, uh, He is the judge. And so, He will come back. And I'm not going to get into the different judgments that will occur, but for those, I'll just briefly say, for those who are in Christ, we will face the judgment seat of Christ. And so, we won't go to the great white throne judgment. You, you probably want to, you know... Um, be glad that you're not going there because everyone who will stand before the Lord that do, does not know the Lord will be thrown into the lake of fire. But those of us who are in Christ, we will be judged in every deed, every thought, everything that you do from the point in time where you trusted Christ until the day you die or he, until He returns, whichever occurs first. Okay? Everything that you do and say will be revealed. And, and anything that you do that was unworthy, it'll just burn up. The Bible refers to that as wood, hay, and stubble. And then everything that you do that has spiritual significance in your life, that will be what's considered as gold and silver and precious stones. Those are the rewards that you will get in heaven and we'll cast our crowns at His feet when we worship Him. So, it does matter how you live. And it does matter um, the things that you do. Because, see, you represent Christ to, to the world. You know, God saved you for a reason. And he, and he called you to be salt and light. And to be a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. You just don't, you don't get saved and just live how you want to live. That's not how it works. You know, God saves you because He called you and He chose you before the foundation of the earth 
which is an awesome thought if you think about that. But He saved you for a reason. And, and He, these good works and things that you do, guess what? He ordained those too. Before the foundation of the earth, the things that you do for Christ, He already ordained it. So you just walk in them. You know, you didn't do anything to deserve your salvation. You were saved by grace through faith. It was not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. But those works do come. And God ordained them. And so He's called you out to live for Him. And so that is the awesome reality of your life in Christ. So it's kind of a big deal. So um, who would take Acts 10.42? Thank you. And then Acts 17.31. And then for time's sake, we'll skip Hebrews 9.27. But Joseph, I'm going to ask you to read Matthew 25, 31 through 46, okay? So that's kind of a big section. How are we doing on time? No, we're doing pretty good. So, Acts 10, 42. This is talking about Jesus Christ will return in judgment. And He commanded us to preach to the people and solemnly to bear witness that this is the one who has been designated by God as judge of the living and the dead. Amen. Then Acts 17.31 Because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance in all by raising Him from the dead. Amen. Joseph. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in? or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also will answer him, and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Amen. Joseph, why don't you take just a minute and 
give a couple of comments about that section of scripture. Just you just read it. So what is what is that? What does the Lord want you to bring out about that section in Matthew? I'm sorry. Yes, there in uh, in Matthew 25. Well. Put you on the spot, I know. No, that's fine. That's fine. I, I love this. I love this passage and I hate this passage. Um, it's, it's very convicting, for one. Um, at, at the same time, it's encouraging because when I look at this passage, I say to myself, I don't do this. And if I thought I did, I would probably be that second group because they think they did it. And the group that actually did says, I don't, I didn't do anything, you know. So yes, there is a call here to do something. But like we said, it's Christ who does it all. And there is a practical side of it, I think. There's also a spiritual side of it. That I think when we talk about food and drink, and ministering in those things, I, I think you can also draw from those spiritual analogies that when we share the gospel with someone, that is everlasting bread. It's the bread of life. When we share the living water with someone, that is that, the drink. Um, when, we, when we take them in and disciple them, I think there's a spiritual aspect to these things as well that we would not we would not want to miss, you know, apart from just the the, the practical um, aspects of, uh, of of caring for the poor, of helping people, um, and it also says uh, one of these little ones throughout the New Testament. There there is an emphasis on uh, caring for the poor and this and that. There's a huge emphasis on the body caring for one another. Amen. And so you see that in here as well. So that's not exhaustive, but that's just a little. No, it's good. Something. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's important that we understand uh, that, yeah, that can be convicting for sure when you look at that because um, God expects us to care and love other people. That's part of, of what we do. But ultimately, Christ is the ultimate judge. And so, there will be those that are His and, and will have eternal life with Him in heaven. And then there will be others that are cast into the lake of fire. And that's the reality of what's going on and the reason that we're here and the reason that God has saved you to be, like I mentioned earlier, to be a testimony of Christ to others. Um, and so it's important in the way that we live. So before we get into chapter 2, I wanted to take just a few questions, uh, take a, a minute, and I want to ask you guys a couple of questions. I'm going to give you a, a, a few scenarios, and I want to try to get just a short answer from you guys. So let's say, for instance, that you know somebody, and they say that they're a Christian, and you see evidence in their life that this person, you believe that they truly are a Christian, and you see things in their life that indicates that, that they're a believer, 
But what if they have different, a different view uh, on certain things in Scripture? Like, let's say, for instance, you'll run into this if you're a Christian long enough. Let's say, for instance, that this person who you've seen evidence and you really believe that they're Christian, but they may have a different view on the spiritual gifts. Okay? They may go to a church or they may have been taught and believe that the spiritual gifts have not ceased. They, they may believe that people are still speaking in tongues. They may believe that uh, prophecy is still intact and, and healing and the spiritual gifts. So let me ask you this. If you see evidence that they're a believer and they have different beliefs about the spiritual gifts, can you have fellowship with that person? You think so, Josiah? I do too. Everybody agree with that? That can we have fellowship with somebody that has a different view about the spiritual gifts? Yeah, I think we can. As long as we're not confused about salvation and, and what it means to truly be born again. So let me ask you this. Let's say, for instance, you've got another person, you meet this person. Maybe you've known them from school for a couple of years. And this person says that they're a Christian. But as you observe their life, you don't really see anything in their life that kind of looks like a Christian. Maybe their language, maybe the people they hang out with, maybe you know what they're doing. It just doesn't really look like other people maybe in your youth group, for instance. Or they, it doesn't s seem like that they're a Christian. Oh, and then when you talk to them, they say that, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, but you know, I believe that the Buddhists can be saved and I believe that, that there's other ways to God. Now this person says that they're a Christian, but they believe that there's other ways. Can you have fellowship with that person? No, you can't. You can't have fellowship with that person. So i got one more scenario. Let's say, for instance, that you meet someone and, and that they say that they're a Christian and you've observed their life and you, and you see fruit, just like we talked about earlier, and, and, and they appear to be a believer, and, and, but they have a different view about prophecy and end-time stuff than you do or than what you've been taught. Can you have fellowship with those people? Yeah. Okay. So I say that first because this section of Scripture, Joseph's laughing, you know, this section of Scripture can be very difficult for people. And prophecy is very difficult. And so, you know, everybody, you're going to have to develop your views on certain things. And, and so the more you learn about Christ and the more you grow in His knowledge then absolutely you're going to have some, uh, some things where you might have a view about something and it might change. And so one of the main things, and one of the things that I try, that I've tried to do, because anybody that knows me knows that I can be very dogmatic. No. <laughs> yeah, Bethany. I can be very dogmatic. And so I don't want to do that. I want to be teachable. If I'm wrong about something, I want, I want to, you know, I want to study. I want to know. I want to be open minded and teachable and you should be that way as well so i say that because this next chapter uh chapter two can be uh, difficult and so we're going to tackle it and so i'm going to read chapter two of second thessalonians
And we're just talking about Christ returning and His judgment. So we're going to begin chapter 2 and he says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work only he who now restrains it will be will do so until he is out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they received, excuse me, because they refused to love the truth and to be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you are taught by us either by our spoken word or by letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So on the back, or on the next page, just a few bullet points, and I won't have you guys look up any more Scripture. I've got a few... Uh, scripture references, um, and I know it's getting kind of, it's 7.35, so we're doing pretty good. Y'all still with me? Okay. So we just finished reading chapter 2. There's only one more chapter left, so just hang with me. I know this is a lot of Scripture and a lot of stuff, but there's a few points that I want to make, and this is the first point. Jesus has not yet returned. Did y'all know that? He has not yet returned to gather the church and He's not returned for the final judgment. And so that is an important point. No matter where you stand with your eschatology, who knows what eschatology is? Anybody? It's a big word. It's, it's a view of uh, end times. The way that you look at the last days in Scripture, the way that you look at prophecy. So no matter how you view it, the fact remains that Christ has not yet returned yet. 
we are not in heaven with him yet, uh, and he has not thrown individuals into the lake of fire yet. Everybody agree with that? All right, so we're going to land on that. Christ has not yet returned. And so, um, and, and what was going on, y'all, at the beginning of this <coughs> chapter 2, it was reported to the church at Thessalonica that the Lord, that the resurrection had already occurred. And so they were distressed and they thought the Lord had come back and we missed out. And so part of this letter that, that Paul wrote was to encourage. He saw the growth. He saw that spiritual growth. He saw them loving one another. But then he saw the wolves coming in and trying to deceive God's people and to try to tell them that, that, that the resurrection had already occurred. And so he says in this first part that he's addressing that. He says, uh, don't be concerned or don't be worried. He says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us. So there might have been some letters circulating that the Lord had already come. Okay? And so he's saying, don't be alarmed that, that the day of the Lord has not come as of yet. And so it was, it was he, and then he starts giving some, some things or some evidences of what will occur when the Lord does return. And so the important thing, I think, is to understand that God saved you for a reason. The Lord is returning. I mean, He's coming back. And we're not supposed to be anxious about anything, but we are supposed to be, I guess we are to be anxious about His return. We should be looking for His return. You know, we, we need to have our eyes open and we need to be ready for when He does come back. We don't want to be asleep as it appears that a lot of people are asleep. They're not thinking about Christ returning. So, no matter how you view prophecy, Scripture is clear. This is another thing that's clear. No matter where you stand, Scripture is clear that the enemy is real and he works to deceive God's people. So, the enemy is still, whether you think Satan is bound, I don't know about you, but he is still working. You know, I've heard he's on a leash. Okay, and I understand Christ is seated and He is at the right hand of the Father and He is Lord over all. And I believe that. And I believe that the kingdom of heaven, that God's saving all these people, He's gathering together all these people. People are being saved and, and He's building His church and He is going to return. So whether He comes and it's a pre-tribulation rapture or a mid-tribulation rapture, or maybe there's no rapture and it's just judgment. Okay, you know, you're going to have to land somewhere, probably. And so, but ultimately, Christ is coming back. And so He has instructed you on how you're to live before He returns. So don't get so caught up in, in when He's coming back, or you're right and He's wrong, or 
whatever, because I think a lot of people argue in the church over these type things. And, you know, I didn't take it lightly. I'm like, man, Thessalonians first say, okay, yeah, thanks, you know. But anyway, that's fine. I'm glad to, because it's helped me in studying God's Word to try to focus on the things that, are, that I think are significant and important. So a few verses that deal with the enemy and the Antichrist uh, here in 1 John 2, 18 and 19. And this is kind of second paragraph, first, second par- paragraph on the top of that uh, second page. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might become plain that they were not all of us. So what does all that mean? So when John wrote this epistle of 1 John to the church, he's saying that there are, the spirit of Antichrist was already in the world in the first century and that there were many Antichrists. And so the purpose of the enemy is to deceive God's people and ultimately to confuse God's people about the Gospel. And that's what was going on in the first century. You had the enemy coming in and sowing seed that was corrupt seed, that was not trying to pervert the Gospel. The enemy is still working diligently to pervert the Gospel. If he wasn't, then we wouldn't have a hundred Christian denominations. We wouldn't have Mormons. We wouldn't have Jehovah's Witnesses. We wouldn't have Islam. We wouldn't have the Muslims. We wouldn't have Buddhists. The enemy's working. And he wants to deceive God's people. He's been doing it from the very beginning and he's continuing to do so. The part where it says they went out from us but they were not of us, because if they would have been of us, they would remain with us. There were people claiming to be believers. You remember the scenario that I gave earlier about somebody that says they're a Christian, but you're not really seeing that in their lifestyle, in the way that they live, and they're trying to get you to participate in things that you know better? Okay, that's what was going on. These people were joining up with the church. It was growing by leaps and bounds. And it's like, wait a minute, they were with us, but they were not of us. That's why they left, so it could be revealed that they were not of us. So there were people that were creeping into the church that was trying to corrupt God's people and corrupt the true church. And that's what was going on in Thessalonica as well. So the enemy works diligently to try to deceive God's people and pervert the Gospel. 1 John 4, 1-3 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Already, So, like I emphasized before, the enemy's working. And anybody that doesn't say Jesus is the Christ, you can know right then and there 
that that person's not from God. Okay? You are to test spirits. You are to be discerning. And that's the next point. So no matter how you stand on, on prophecy, uh, you're called to be discerning. And that's this next point. Christians are to be discerning. We are to discern. And that means to make a judgment about what is right and what is wrong. A few verses of Scripture that talks about discerning. Hebrews 5.14 But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. How do you become a discerning believer? Go ahead. You read the Bible. You read the Bible. That's, yeah. You read God's Word. You study God's Word. You meditate on God's Word. You think about it. You, you, it becomes part of you. You know, wisdom enters into the heart. God's Word, when you place God's Word in your heart, it becomes part of you. And then when you're faced with difficult situations because you have the Holy Spirit, you know what the Holy Spirit does? He takes that Word that you put in your heart and He brings it to the forefront of your mind and says, hey, my Word says this. Are you going to do that? No, you're not. So you have a choice at that point either to be obedient or to be disobedient. But if you don't know what it says, who's got a driver's license? Anybody? Okay. If nobody ever teaches you how to drive and you go to take your test, and you're probably going to fail, right? So you need to be practicing. So believers need to be practicing. You need to be discerning. You need to be reading the Word of God and studying the Word of God. And we're commanded to be discerning so we can make sure that we're not being deceived. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay? So, God wants to transform your life. He wants to transform your heart. He wants to transform your mind. And He does that through the power of His Word. You don't have God's Spirit, that means you're not saved. And you can't live for Christ if, you, if you're not saved. It's just a simple fact. A natural, the Bible says that a natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. What does all that mean? It means that someone who's not a believer, they can't understand the things of God. So, recognize... That as a child of God, you have God's Spirit. And you have God's Word. And so you can discern, you have the ability, because God gave you His Spirit, to know right from wrong. And to recognize uh, what is truth. And so that's an awesome thing that we have. God did not leave us alone. He left us with His Spirit. And so this... Last point in chapter two, and it's we got we're going to try to finish up in about five minutes, seven forty-eight. How long y'all usually go? About time. Okay. So, <clears throat> unsaved people are deceived, deceived because they reject the gospel. You know, I think that if you look at those verses 
those are some powerful verses in 10 through 13. Um, when it says that, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe a lie, believe what's false. And so, reject, rejecting the Gospel causes individuals to be deceived. So anyone who rejects that Jesus is the Christ will fall under this deception and this uh, disillusion. So when Christ does return, there will be people who are perishing. Why? Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Your responsibility is to bring forth the Gospel. You don't know if they're going to receive Christ or not, but we have that responsibility, not just preachers and teachers, but you as part of His body and a child, God's commanded you to be salt and light. Man, I told y'all, warned y'all, it's long-winded. We're finishing up. Finally, brothers, finally, that's the word y'all were looking for, right? <laughs> finally, brothers, pray for us that the Word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. For even... For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey, what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So just a few quick points and we'll be done. Um, in this chapter, is not as meaty as chapter 2, for sure. But believers should pray for other believers. You know, right now, we need to be praying for our pastor. And not just our pastor, but one another. And so, one of the things that you'll find in Scripture is that we need to be praying for each other. And the Apostle Paul 
was asking the believers to be praying for them. Also, um, and, and I'll just quickly read these verses that talk about prayer. Um, we should continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That's Colossians 4.2. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Another point is that believers are to stay away from those who are lazy and are not doing God's will. And that's kind of what he's addressing here with these people that are being busybodies and they're not really doing what, what they ought to be doing. And so, the Apostle Paul is confronting these believers who are not living the way that they should. And then, if you represent Jesus Christ, then you're supposed to be a hard worker. Do you know that? You're not to be lazy. And, you know, it's not a good testimony. I mean, I have four kids, and I will say that I believe all four of my kids are hard workers. I really believe that. I'm thankful for that. Kind of boasting on that a little bit. But, you know, I was raised to work hard. I know Joseph works hard. I'm sure you work hard, don't you, buddy? You teaching your kids to be hard workers? Yes, we're not to be lazy. So when they went on these missionary journeys, they were working. They were like not trying to get things, you know, to take advantage um, of the people because they were missionaries. But, uh, but anyway, part of being a believer for sure is to work hard and we are also to imitate the ones that God has placed over us. And so pick out in your life a few examples of some people who you know that you see good God godly characteristics in them and imitate those things. That's all that means. Joseph mentioned discipling earlier. And that's all it is, is trying to teach others how to live for Christ. And so thank you all for allowing me to go through this book. I really appreciate y'all's attention. I know it was long, and I was afraid it was going to be. But I hope that you guys were able to, to get something out of it. And uh, thank you all so much. I'll pray and will be done. Dear Lord, we do thank You for tonight. I just thank You for these kids and I thank You for their attentiveness to listen to Your Word. God, I trust that, that You worked uh, in each one's heart tonight and did exactly uh, what You intended to do with Your Word. We know that, that You say that Your Word will not return void, so I thank You for that, Lord. And I just pray You give us a good evening. We do lift up Pastor Tim to You, Lord. And just pray, God, that You would heal him quickly. And I pray for Ellen and the entire family that, Lord, You would just comfort them during this difficult time and help us to serve them as they have uh, served us. And we just thank You and ask these things in Jesus Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.